Thank you for joining our podcast here at Peninsula Covenant Church. Stay tuned as together we'll study God's Word. Happy Easter, everybody. He is risen, huh? Okay, here's the deal. There's about, uh, there's a unity on this peninsula amongst churches, and already I've gotten texts from like 30 different pastors that are holding Easter services, and we promised each other we would take pictures for each other. And we've got the best-looking church on the whole peninsula. Amen? So I need to put your smile on underneath those masks. God sees them, and just give me a smile real fast. One, two, three, go. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. He is risen, my friends. It's so good to be together. Susan, I'm going to invite you up. Would you give a welcome to my friend Susan McClernan? She's going to share her story in a little bit. Now listen, she's going to get pretty vulnerable, so we need a little more welcome than that. Can you just give it up for Susan? Come on up, Susan. You're welcome. Can you sit down right there? Awesome. So three guys are by a fire pit talking in their backyard, and they start to get pretty deep, and they say, hey, when you die and people are around your casket, what do you want them to say about you? First guy says, well, I want him to say he was a family man. He was committed to his family. Second guy raises his eyebrows and goes, I want him to say, that guy was a community-minded person. He gave back. Third guy says, you know, I don't know about you two, but when they're around my casket, I want him to say, look, he's moving. (laughs) That's what Easter is all about. The fact that there is tangible hope because someone who is thought dead is alive. And friends, that, we can clap for that. I love that. That is not just a 2,000-year-old story that's made up. I want to just take the gloves off and really just, you know, we've got no, no projection behind me. It's just me and you talking, the Word of God doing a work of God. And I'd invite you to ask, what difference does that make in my life today in 2021? Because I think it'll make a huge difference. I was reading this week about a Harvard psychologist. His name is Steven Pinker, and he was observing that empirically in 2021, and there's no debate about this, we are living better lives than any uh, generation on the planet. And yet he posed the question, then if that's the case, if we have more technology, better health care, all of that, why is it that people feel more culturally and emotionally dislocated than ever before? Why is it there is an angst in the air and a hopelessness that is prevailing, not just in a culture, but globally? You can feel it, right? You can feel the tangible angst, the tangible hopelessness in the air. You may be surprised to hear this, but Easter morning, the original Easter morning, it actually started in hopelessness. It started in fear. It started with Followers of Jesus scattered, running for their lives, hiding in in rooms with locked doors. But then words were spoken that first Easter morning, seven words that changed everything. And there's seven words that have changed many of our lives, and it can change your life too. Here it is. He is not here. 
He is risen. With those seven words, what we realize is this, that death doesn't have the final word. That as Gamgee said in Lord of the Rings, everything sad becomes untrue. That the worst possible thing doesn't have to be the final thing. Would it be better if I had a handheld? I'm fine. Let's try this. I'm going to her mic. Okay, that the, that the worst possible thing, the crucifixion, doesn't have to be the final thing. Easter morning started in hopelessness, but friends, it didn't end there. And regardless of where you are today, regardless of where we are today, you can leave here with a brand new hope, a tangible hope. And I want to show you that from the Bible in Luke chapter 24. There's three guys, two guys walking away in utter hopelessness. And by the end of the day, their lives were transformed. Luke chapter 24, if you have your Bibles, you can open up your phones. I'm going to start the story. Let's join these guys walking down a road towards a village called Emmaus, utterly hopeless. Now, the same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. I'm in verse 13. As they were talking with each other about everything that had happened, they're walking away from the crucifixion. The body is dead. We said this last year at Easter. Uh, and the body was dead, and nobody expected no body to be in the tomb. They all expected Jesus to be dead. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. Interesting. They were kept from recognizing him. Why? Well, that's simple, because he was socially distanced with a mask on. I'm just kidding. Uh, the word there, Luke, is playing on the words, actually. This is more than just facial recognition, right? This is they were kept from perceiving who Jesus truly was. It was so great for me to be up on that road as you drove up and to look through the glare of the windshield. And some of you I haven't seen in a year, but I knew who you were by seeing the outline of your face or seeing your hair or seeing your lack of hair, or seeing more hair, whatever it was, I could recognize you. This isn't what the word means. That word recognize means they didn't truly perceive who Jesus was, what his life mission was about. And there's an irony here. Do you see it? They're walking down a road with Jesus. Not only do they not have facial recognition, don't miss this, they don't have mission recognition, transformation potential recognition. They are kept from seeing the difference Jesus can make in their lives. Some of you are in that same place right here on this lawn. I was in that place for 18 years of my life. I was very religious, but I was kept from recognizing the difference Jesus could make in my life forever. And when I recognized it, it produced hope. And you can leave with hope today. Let's keep reading. It says there, as they were walking along, they were kept from recognizing him. Sorry, my, my page turn. Oh, let me just say this. On their own, these guys would have never recognized Jesus. If you read the gospel accounts, every post-resurrection appearance of Jesus, he does the initiating. He does it with these guys. He does it with every post-resurrection appearance, and he does it with you today. Uh, you think you may have been disqualified from God's love because of whatever, Jesus is pursuing you. He will always pursue you. He loves you that much. 
So he asked them, here we go, what are you discussing as you walk along? They stood still. Their faces were downcast. That's a picture of hopelessness. One of them, Cleopas, asked him, "Are you?" and there's, there's almost um, a pejorative sense in this statement. Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know what happened these days? What things, he asked. Do you see the irony in this? About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed, before God and all the people. The chief priests, our rulers, handed him over to be sentenced to death. They crucified him. And here it comes, everybody. But we had hoped. Such sadness in those words. We had hoped. We banked our hope. We, we, we hitched our wagon to him. We gave our life following him. And when Jesus was crucified, all that was done. Because Christianity doesn't rest on the life of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, the miracle of Jesus. On Good Friday, the church was scattered. There wasn't even a church. His followers were scattered. Our faith rests on the event that we celebrate today, the resurrection of Jesus. They banked all their hopes, and they were scattered. We hope he would be the one who is going to redeem Israel. And now we see why they can't recognize Jesus. Their expectations eclipsed who he really was. They wanted a Jesus of their own making. And they banked their hopes not on the real Jesus, but on the Jesus that they had made up. And that eclipsed them from seeing the real Jesus right next to them. Friends, Jesus is closer to you on this lawn than you would ever, ever realize and he wants to reveal himself to all of us in a fresh new way today my guess is there there isn't one person on this lawn who isn't living with some i had hoped regret or sorrow especially the year we've all come out of what i know of some of the stories there are people on this lawn we had hoped our small business would have made it we had hoped we could be in the hospital for my child's birth or in the hospital for my partner's death. We had hoped I'd be married. We had hoped we'd have kids by now. We had hoped my marriage would be different. We had hoped my marriage would last forever. Uh, that word hope, the English language does a, does a terrible disservice to it. It's almost as if when you hear I say we had hoped, you think the word or the term wishful thinking. Like, I hope the Raiders move back to the Bay Area. Never going to happen. That's not what this word means in this book that was written in a Middle Eastern Greek language 2,000 years ago. That word hope means assured anticipation. Assured anticipation. And we'll get back to that by the end of our time together. What Jesus does for them at this point, 2,000 years ago, he can do for you. He's done for me. He's done for Susan because he's alive and he never changes. And here's the ingredients of hope, people. It's going to be really easy to remember. Here's the first. He can reframe your past. He can reframe your past. Look what happens here. 
Verse 24, Jesus said to them, How foolish you are. How slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Didn't the Christ have to suffer these things and enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them all that was said in the scriptures concerning himself. What did he do? He didn't change their past. He reframed their past. He put a new lens on their past. And it made all the difference. Here's where I want you to meet my friend Susan. What I love about my friend Susan, what our family loves about our friend Susan, is her life makes no earthly sense. Who she is today, you would never think when you hear her story, the trajectory of her story would land her to who she is today. But Jesus did a work in her past. Susan, come on up and tell us a little bit about that. Can you welcome Susan again? This is not easy. Come on. Give this attention. There you go. Susan, uh, you know, knowing the demographic I won't go into, people would think that you grew up in a stable home with a white picket fence, 2.5 siblings, all that. But that's not the case, is it? Tell us a little bit about Susan's past. Yeah, um, so it was the antithesis of that. Um, I um, my, grew up with a mom with mental health issues and substance abuse issues, and um, she abandoned me one day, and I was placed in different homes and lived uh, with different families. Uh, over most of my formative years, I was um, homeless in foster care, um, living in place to place and not really knowing how long I would be there. And when it was time to go, I would just have all my stuff thrown in a, in a garbage bag and moved on to the next place. And um, until I was about, I think, nine years old, I had my first photo taken. That's the only photo I have of myself as a kid. That's the earliest one that I have at nine. Do you remember any emotion during that time? Yeah, it was just insecurity and feeling like I didn't exist and feeling like I wasn't worth it or good enough to stay anywhere. Yeah. It was really hard yeah. and scary for a kid um, between, say, five and eight years old, yeah. mostly. First of all, thank you for <laughs> reliving that trauma and bringing that up. And I want you to know, this is not the world that God created. This is not the world that God designed. This is the world that human sin has marred, that when we've rebelled from God, this is some of the output of that rebellion. Most vulnerable in our society uh, have to live out of a garbage bag. As if for nine years, and we've talked about this, I've got permission to say this, no photos taken of you. It's as if you don't exist. Is this really the world we were created to live in? What does Jesus think of this world where this happens? Let me get personal. What do you do with your past when it can be defined by a garbage bag? We all have garbage in our past. We all have regrets. We all have things, like in Susan's case, things done to you or things we've done. 
we all have questions that we put in the garbage bag, the things that in our past, I know I certainly do, like, wait, that, that shouldn't happen. Untimely deaths, unthinkable events, like we've experienced these last couple weeks, shootings in Atlanta, lives not safe from the womb to the tomb, prejudging people. Friends, I want to be very clear. We've made a mess of the world God created. And yet we can still live with hope. Because remember what I said? While Easter started in hopelessness, with the words, he is not here, he is risen, everything sad becomes untrue. The worst things in life don't have to be the final things in life. God can actually reframe your past like he's doing and has done in Susan's life and use it for amazing, amazing good, regardless of what's in your garbage bag. That's why we sing with hope. The first thing Jesus did was reframe their past. He, he looked back on the events that they were running away from that they didn't have an understanding to, and he reframed them and brought understanding. That's what Jesus can do for you here today, too. He can reframe all the pain, all the regrets, all the shame, all the questions, and help you live with hope. But it's not just about our past. Jesus didn't reframe their past only. Look at this. He reprioritizes and reinvigorates their present. Oh, the irony we're in right now in this Luke story. These guys can't recognize that God himself is walking the road with them, that they're not alone on the journey, even though they think they are that right next to them was their greatest source of hope talking to them. Don't miss this, okay? Until they slowed down. Even in COVID, I know it slowed us all down, but some of us are going at a breakneck speed. And the narrative of COVID is you've upped your Netflix watching or you've upped your social media attendance or you've upped your binge whatever. And the whole time, Jesus is trying to get you to slow down so you can see the source of life. Look what happens in verse 28. By this time, they were nearing Emmaus at the end of their journey. Jesus would have gone on, but look at this. This is a, a picture of prayer. They begged him to stay the night with them. So he went home with them. Jesus loves to answer those kind of prayers. Stay with me. I would just say if you're checking out Jesus or you're not a follower of Jesus, why don't you just make that your prayer? Jesus, would you reveal yourself to me? Would you show up for me? Would you show me who you are? He went home with them. Now they have a new priority. At first, this person's a nuisance. Now they're saying, don't leave us, right? As they sat down to eat, that's slowing down, he took a small loaf of bread and asked God's blessing on it. He broke it and gave it to them. Suddenly their eyes were open, and here's that word again, they recognized him. It wasn't just facial recognition. Suddenly they said, oh my gosh, this is what he's about. He's conquered the grave. There's nothing we're facing that could be conquered now, that, that can conquer us now. Susan, you're nine years old, and Jesus shows up in your present through a person named Penny. Tell us about that. Uh, yeah, so Penny, at this time uh, when I went to live with her, I was very scared, and 
Penny, Penny found you, right? Yeah. Okay. Yes. And um, she was a single mom, and she had two grown kids. And um, she t wasn't coming from a place of abundance, I will say. Um, she worked full time, and I didn't fit seamlessly into her life. But when I showed up with my garbage bag, um, the first thing she did was she put it down, and she asked if I wanted to go for a walk. And the first day, she said that I wasn't going anywhere again, and that I can call her mom. And that was just that's the most memorable day of my life. Um, and I think of her now that I'm a woman and a parent, and I just think she just loves the way Jesus loves. And she just said, come, I'm going to meet you where you are. And um, my love's not going to change either. And um, I was set up in a cot in one of those folding beds in the basement, because <laughs> that was the only space that was available. But I was just so grateful and so happy to have um, clean sheets and know that I wasn't going to be taken anywhere else. And that is, um, you know, there wasn't camps or all of this and nannies and all that. I, you know, when there was no school, I'd go to, to work with her. I'd hang out in the car or in the stock room or something for the whole day. And I just, I felt... Um, Although we didn't have a lot, I was rich because she was just such a mighty woman of God. Um, she even spoke in scripture. Like I thought that those were her words, and then I would read the Bible later. I'd be like, oh, this sounds familiar. Uh, she just went, I'm going to wear a garment of praise today. And I'm like, oh, I see that here. And so <laughs> I was just raised with uh, being rich in faith and God's love and being taught forgiveness, and um, it changed my life. So as Jesus reprioritized Penny, she started to live with brand new priorities. So she shows up in your life and doesn't uh, give out of abundance. She gives out of the spiritual abundance in her life, out of the abundance of love. It's beautiful. So reframed past, reinvigorated present. You see things like you've never seen before. That leads to a redirected future. Friends, that's the ingredients of hope. Let me take you back to when I'm four years old. My parents, uh, I, I was not supposed to be born. I was the accident baby in our family, the youngest of four, five years younger than my, my oldest sister, and eight and nine years older, younger than my brothers. And so my parents, back in the day, they could do this. Kids, don't ever do this. Uh, they lied my age. You couldn't even do it today because you have to produce forms. But they lied my age, so at four years old, I'm in kindergarten. Uh, and I would leave the house at 8 a.m., walk down about a third of a mile to catch the bus. Can you imagine little four-year-old Gary walking by himself down Stone Drive to catch the bus? My parents were great people. They blew it on that one, okay? Spent the day in kindergarten, and the bus would drop me off, and I'd be at the bottom, the corner of Stone Drive in Cambridge, and I'd look up, and I just did simple physics in my four-year-old mind. Slope of the hill, wind direction, amount of energy in me, my caloric intake for the day. And most often, I would just fall asleep on the neighbor's lawn, and my mom would come down and get me because the journey was way too long ahead of me. Some of you feel that right now in your life. Like you look at the road ahead of you, 
and you think, I don't have what it takes to make it to where I need to be. You feel that emotionally or spiritually or maybe even physically in your career. I just want to say this before we read the scripture. You were never meant to do life in your own ability. What we gain by doing life in our own ability are nine-year-olds living out of garbage bags and a ton of other atrocities that fill our head, headlines and home pages. Jesus wants to reframe your past, reinvigorate your present, and look at this. He'll redirect your future. They asked each other, Jesus is gone now. Were not our hearts burning within us? There's an internal change in them. Verse 32, while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures, they got up. Look at this. This is a U-turn. Your life can take a U-turn through Jesus and returned at once to Jerusalem. They found the 11, those with them assembled together and said, it's true. Before this encounter, they're walking away from their pain. After this encounter, their life is transformed and they're walking back. Jesus didn't change the road. He changed them on the road and the direction they were taking on the road. And Susan, your life is taking a change. It, it makes no earthly sense. Tell us a little bit about that. How is your future different because of Penny? And you can't see it, but she's wide-eyed right now. Because it, I, I read that to say, how do I even put language to yeah, this? Yeah, it's just, there's just so many different ways. Um, I think my life is different because, um, obviously, because I have Jesus in my life, but um, that you don't have to wait for a perfect situation or per perfect circumstance. And what strikes me so much about Penny, my mom, is that she said yes. And she didn't really have any of the details, but she said yes to me. And um, I think her saying yes has just had such a huge ripple effect um, in my life. And then my husband's life, who is not saved when we met, but now we both, you know, he is, and our son's life, and just all of the people that this woman has touched. And, you know, I remember, um, you know, she's not educated by the world standards. She's she has a PhD in, in Jesus' standards, and I, yeah. I just yeah. feels like um, what she's done is, has an eternal impact, you know. And so uh, I, I encourage people to just. You know, I, I'm speaking from someone I know my life doesn't make earthly sense, but uh, I think back to the scripture with God, all things are possible. And I just know that um, any little thing you could do in a kid's life, it, it makes a difference. Well, in any simple yes to Jesus, you never know the ripple effect of your simple yes of obedience. I'm not going to out Susan's age, but let's just say 20 years ago when you're nine years old. Penny had no idea how much that simple yes to Jesus and to Susan, the ripple effect that years later she'd be speaking to a lawn full of people and online, actually online to Penny herself, to house churches in Menlo Park and other places, telling them about Jesus' difference in her life, that she and her, uh, and her husband would be a, a having a Christ-centered home, uh, that they're engaged, and I got permission to say this, uh, in the process of fostering themselves. That they have a young son named Christian who's just beautiful and will be raised up 
with having pictures from his baby years on because he matters. Penny had no idea how much that simple yes to Jesus meant. We were talking this week and Susan said, you know what's ironic? For someone whose name is Penny, she's made my life so rich. That's what Jesus does, my friends. We got to end this, and I actually, to be honest, I don't want to because I, I, I've missed you so badly, and I love seeing you in 3D. But we've got to end this, and how do we? Give me your best attention for three more minutes. On Easter Sunday, it wasn't just Jesus that came out of a tomb. Hope came out of the tomb. Hope for a coming kingdom. Hope that the worst thing doesn't have to be the last thing. Eventually, everyone here, you're going to come to a place where the resurrection, where it will matter personally whether it happened or didn't to you. You may not think it matters right now because you're young or whatever. You will get to a place where you wonder, I hope it matters. I, I hope it's real. And because it did, at that time, I want you to remember there is hope, there is assured anticipation available for us all. There's assured anticipation that there's forgiveness for everything you've done in your past. That's why Jesus went to the cross. There's assured anticipation, there's companionship throughout your whole life, just like he walked the road to Emmaus. Even if you don't recognize it, Jesus said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. You can live with that assured companionship. You're never alone, regardless of your earthly relationships. There's assured anticipation that death is not the end, that because of the resurrection of Jesus, you can live with him forever. Friends, that's the ingredients of hope. I need that kind of hope. Does anyone else need that kind of hope here? Amen. So we're going to close in prayer, and I'm, I've got two applications for you. Here's the first. Be a penny. Be a penny. Hope was never meant to be contained. If you identify as a follower of Jesus, you are not the end all. You are to be a transmitter of hope. And we've got 25 kids that are ready to, to, to age out of the foster care system. And we're doing this through Foster the Bay, all over the Bay Area. Churches are taking this initiative. And we've just said, you know what, count 25 in. PCC will adopt 25 of them. Go to one of the tables or go onto our website, and let's make sure no kid who ages out feels alone. The second thing, though, I can't leave this gathering without giving you the opportunity to make Jesus real to you. You, too, can leave with a burning heart. Because you know that Jesus has forgiven your past, will give you new priorities for your present, and your future, you will die physically. Death bats a thousand. We're all going to die. But spiritually, you can live on forever tangibly and one day re-inhabit this earth with Jesus as it was created to be. Can I get an amen to that? So we're going to close in prayer. And if you've never made Jesus real, I want to give you that opportunity. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much that you make all things new, like you say in the book of Revelation. You are making all things new. And I pray today, Lord, 
that the example of Penny, that Susan's vulnerability before us all, her, her living, breathing testimony that she's a new person, I pray today that we would live with new hope. I pray today that those who identify as followers of Christ, we would be transmitters, beacons, signposts of your hope. I pray specifically for these 25 uh, names that we've adopted. I don't even know their names, but you do, just like you knew Susan's name from her birth, just like you know everyone here's name. I pray, Lord, that we would be penny to them. We would be the tangible hands and feet of Jesus to them. And, Lord, I pray for those here today who aren't sure where they stand with you. And if that's you, I just want to say, God's love for you isn't based on you. It's based on him. We put a cross right in the middle of this gathering because that is the tangible expression of God's love. If you've never given your life to Christ, you can do that today. He doesn't want to make you weird. He wants to make you the best version of you possible. He wants to make you forgiven and living with hope. If you've never said yes to Jesus, you can do that by just repeating after me. These words aren't magical. It's your heart's desire of yes, Lord, that makes a difference. Have you said yes to Jesus? If not, you can just simply repeat after me, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. If this is true, I open my life to you. Step in. Change my life. Make me the kind of person you want me to be. Give me your eyes and your heart and your direction. I give my life to you. Thank you for giving your life for me. Pray this in your name. Amen. Can we just clap for the Lord in the empty tomb? So good. And why don't you stand up as we close this gathering? If you said yes to Jesus, I want to invite you to go to our website, wearepcc.com forward slash follow Jesus. We have resources there. Or talk to anyone you saw or didn't see or heard up on this platform. We want you to grow in him. We want everyone to live with tangible hope, to be beacons of hope on this peninsula and throughout. I want to encourage you to come back next week. We will gather like this again. you got to register. But come back next week so we can, uh, again, continue on in our series, brand new. We'll talk with Pat, and we'll hear the difference that Jesus makes in the life and how Jesus can relate to the minds and hearts and passion that's here on the peninsula of Silicon Valley. You do not want to miss next week. We have a benediction that we close with. Benediction just means uh, to bless. And so I want to invite you to face the cross. We're going to bless each other. It's right in the middle. Can't miss it. It's the kind of church we want to be. Centered on Jesus. Centered on the cross. And look at this, everybody. No walls around the church. Anyone can come. Anyone can worship. Join us as we get closer to the cross. Doesn't matter what your past was. We're journeying towards Jesus. Join us on that. That's the kind of church we need to be. Amen? So if you know the benediction, say it with me. If you don't, receive it and listen to the blessing. May you jump into the arms of Jesus. And may he push you out 
into the world. And may you be healed as you participate in the healing of others. Not because you must, but because you may. This is why we were born. Give it up. Woo! Thank you, Jesus. God bless you, church. Have a great day. Thank you for tuning in to our message podcast here at Peninsula Covenant Church. We would love the opportunity to connect with you more. We are located in Redwood City, California, and you can find us online at wearepcc.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by simply searching for We Are PCC.